Dr. Carrie Jones, thank you for being on the Better Health Show. It's such an honor. Oh my gosh, I really appreciate you inviting me on. This is going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. And so for listeners that are tuning in that have heard of Dr. Carrie, you've probably seen her hilarious hormone reels on Instagram. But for those that don't know, she's a hormone doctor, and she's also now the head of medical education at Rupa Health. So how long have you been in the industry? Just for a little context. I've been a, this fall, I will have been a, I should say fall of 2022. <laughs> I will have been a doctor for 17 years, but I have been in the industry for 23. Wow. So a long time. That's amazing. Like you have a lot of experience. <laughs> I, it's funny. I was talking to uh, the owner of a predominant lab company the other day, and we were going back and forth about like history of things and gossip and yep. the, the way things have changed. And he oh, was like, yeah. wow, you really know more than I thought you would. I was like, well, 23 years later, <laughs> I, I better. So. <laughs> I mean, if I don't, then that's, yeah, that's a bad I'm sign. Not attention. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. One question I always like to intro into, and you can you know, tell a little bit about your background and why you decided to get in this industry. Cause it sounds like you made that decision pretty quickly when you were young. Um, but give us context on where you grew up, where you live now, and, um, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm not from there. I'm from Michigan. So I am an, I'm a northerner. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I grew believe it or not, due to my dad's job, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And so I learned sex ed, right. Health class was taught by our football coach. And you can oh, imagine yeah. how that yeah. was in the South. Oh, and yeah. so I knew though, at a young age that I wanted to be a doctor. I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN for a while. I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. And when I went to college, I was working in two different hospitals, volunteering, one was a pediatric wing. And then in the other hospital, I worked in their outreach program. And in the pediatric wing, it's exactly what you expect. Yep. It was surgeries, medications, very sick children. Thank goodness it was available, mm -hmm. but it was very um, clean, stark, conventional. And the outreach program in the other clinic or the other hospital was a uh, community. It was blood sugar. It was blood pressure. It was diet nutrition. And it was very education-based and I absolutely fell in love. And mm. I was like, I don't know how I do this, but this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon uh, 23 years ago, uh, this July and wow. uh, July, 2022 mm -hmm. and found the naturopathic medical school. And I was like, oh, this is what I wanted mm. to want to do. And I can learn, I learned conventional medicine and that I had to learn minor surgery. We had to learn medication and pharmaceutical, yep. but then we also learned, um, you know, herbs and diet, nutrient, exercise, lifestyle, toxins. Like we just kept, we just really use those naturopathic principles, which yeah. now a lot of people maybe equate to maybe functional medicine or an integrative medicine approach. And I've been in it ever since. That's amazing. It's more of rather than put a bandaid on an approach, how can we stop the fire from even starting? Yes. Approach? Yes. A hundred percent. And so I decided, uh, OBGYN was not for me. I did not want to deliver babies. I am so grateful to my friends who went that route, God bless them. Yeah. But I, but I still suck with hormones. And so I did my residency in hormones. I practiced for many years, hormones. I worked for a very large hormone lab for nine years as their medical director and uh, then switch platforms to Rupa. So I sort yeah. of live and breathe hormones. <laughs> and, and we're glad you, you chose that route because you are crushing it in that, in that space. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Yes, definitely. So what was your childhood like in regards to health? And maybe you want to tap into the hormone aspect of things. You know, when did you start realizing, wow, the power of our cycles and, and how, you know, we're not taught these things. And what did that look like for you? So I can remember, I would have to ask my mom, but I, we were on a spring break trip and, um, at the ocean and my mom had reserved for us. I have a brother, so we're a family of four mm -hmm. reserved for us, like a catamaran trip. So with snorkeling. So it was like one of those, you know, catamaran boats and we would go and then we would stop at places and go snorkeling. And I couldn't go because my cramps were so severe, mm. 10 out of 10, so severe. And I was a kid, you know, I was yeah. a teenager, but still I was probably 15 or 16. And I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know what this is, but it's a very vivid memory, you know, in my head. And my mom said, oh, this was me. I had the same thing when I was your age. Mm. And so growing up, um, because I knew my mom had experienced these things and she was pretty open about her experiences and, and health, my, my family didn't, you know, hide it, or it wasn't taboo or anything like that. 
but they weren't, they weren't, um, we were in Kentucky. <laughs> we, we weren't, there was nothing like natural, you know, and I went to school <laughs> in Ohio and people go, well, what's it like in Ohio? I said, there's a lot of football and there's a lot of beer and beef. Like, you know, it's a Here great place. To, brats, right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. There you go. I said, it's a great place to raise a family, but it's not where you're at the time, mm-hmm. 20 some years ago, it's not where you're going to find natural medicine. So, but I was, that's what I was into. I just didn't know that's what it was called. And my friend's the closest they could come to was a spa, like, you know, massage or a wellness center. They're like, we don't know what you're going to start some sort of spa. And I was like, you're the, you're the natural one. You're the one who eats healthy and exercises. That's weird. (laughs) And now it's so mainstream. So it's all right. We've come a long way. And I have noticed, um, as a lot of people do Mm -hmm. when they identify root cause issues when they like clean up their diet and, mm-hmm. um, exercise and hy- hydrate and sleep, like some of the basics, their hormones really can improve mm-hmm. a certain percentage, even with, with that. I mean, the number of times I, in fact, I asked on Instagram the other day, something about food. Did you have a symptom and you knew it, figured out it was related to food? And I had hundreds of comments of people who were like, gave up dairy and gave up whatever it was, gluten and gave up soy and gave up whatever it was. And it just goes to show how you know, even people have never been tested. Right. They're not in the field, but they were like, oh yeah, I realized when this particular mm-hmm. food is triggering a lot of health issues and it's not worth it to me. And it yeah. totally can apply to hormones. Yeah, exactly. And it's really cool to hear people where they may have not dug into the education but they're, they're already taking charge of their health where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I realize that this food does this to me. So I'm going to start to avoid that food. Um, and, and taking awareness of, you know, how your body feels after you eat certain things, because a lot of people aren't self-aware with that. Right. Um, so it's really cool to see people, you know, starting to have their brain work in that, that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. A lot of people, if they've, especially if they've always had it. Or, um, if it's a, if it's a really delayed response, it might be tough, you know, if they had dinner the night before, but the symptom doesn't show up till the following day later, you're like, well, I don't know what triggered it. This is just normal for me. Yeah. Um, but once they figure it out, it's can be Mm life-changing. Definitely. Definitely. So what are the biggest things that you see in regards to women's cycles as problems, like hormonal problems that are so common? So symptom wise, I would say the big ones symptom wise are, um, the typicals. I, my PMS is bad. You know, my cramps are bad. Um, fibroids are very common fibroids, polyps, uh, endometriosis, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the abdominal cavity, um, fertility, fertility issues are big ones. And then there's actual, um, like physical. So, you know, like a pain with intercourse, uh, we, I hear, uh, leakage, urinary leakage, which is all sort of related to the area, so to speak. Right. Right. And so those are kind of the big symptoms that you will hear over and over, but it hormones are systemic, so they can affect your mood and ovarian, I should say ovarian hormones are systemic. So they can affect your mood. They can affect your thyroid. You know, they're all, they all interplay with each other. They can affect your skin. You know, they can affect your digestion. They can really affect all sorts of things. So from a like symptom point of view, that's what I see the most. And then Honestly, what I don't think is getting enough, um, press, although I'm starting to see it more and more are the environmental toxicants. So the, the chemicals in our system and our, in our environment that act like there's, they're fake and, but they act like estrogen or they act like testosterone, et cetera, or they screw up. They're called an endocrine disruptor and endocrine is our hormone system. Mm -hmm. And they disrupt is exactly what you think it means. It's going to screw up the hormone system. (laughs) And so I have seen in the comments and the DMS over and over again, people are say, I switched from plastic. I don't use plastic water bottles anymore. I don't use plastic store food anymore. I switched to glass mm-hmm. or stainless steel. And just that made a big difference. Um, that other women say, I got rid of all the fragrance in my house. I don't mm-hmm. have candles for decoration anymore. I switched my detergent. I don't use dryer sheets. Uh, you know, I, my skincare and, and makeup and et cetera, et cetera. I cleaned up. And oh my gosh, it made like, that alone made a huge difference. I even had a woman who said I had such severe 10 out of 10 cramps and I switched to hundred percent organic tampons as opposed to, oh, wow. um, yeah. the just regular brand. typical tampons. Yeah. yeah. Or like some tampons have fragrance. 
Oh yeah. God forbid. She said, I switched to hundred percent organic and my cramps went away. And multiple people were like, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. And I was like, why isn't this taught? Why isn't this taught? Right. I I mean, I can't imagine, like I've never used the fragmented ones. I guess I have heard that they do have those, but it's just like, it just doesn't make sense to me to put like basically a toxic candle in your private area. (laughs) Like, just no (laughs) yes yes years and years and years ago I was traveling and I accidentally bought not thinking I bought the scented box and I was like nope not using these oh my god I had to go back yeah and I thought oh yeah yeah seriously and and so many people women do not know about that like they're like shoot I didn't realize you know that the cotton tampon that I was putting in me like there's, there's different chemicals in that. Like you wouldn't think, but it's a thing. <laughs> and even though, you know, you'll read on the CDC that they're mm-hmm. like, well, the amount in it, the dioxin or the chemicals used mm-hmm. um, to, for the cotton in the tampon or on the pad, yep. um, they will say, you know, it's below a toxic limit. And I'm like, that's great. Like one time, right. You're in an emergency situation. Right. You're like, holy crap. This is the only thing I have to use. Oh, let's not bleed mm-hmm. out everywhere. I'm going to use it like one time. Not a problem. Yeah. The problem is that most of us who if you get a period, you're going to use a couple in a day mm-hmm. and your period's a couple days long, at least usually some people yep. are longer, seven or nine days. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, you have your period <sighs> from puberty until you hit perimenopause Let's and add this up here. I now we can... add up exposure risk. And oh, by the way, the inside of the vagina is called a mucous membrane. Mm-hmm. Uh, higher up is, is, um, the skin, the type of skin tissue it is, is different mm-hmm. than like the skin on your arm. And so the mucus, a mucus membrane sucks things up very quickly, like a sponge. So if you, you may have like a skin on your arm will absorb things, but sometimes we've all used lotion where we're like, oh my right. God, it's still greasy. It's not mm-hmm. absorbing. Like what the heck the up inside our vagina is different. It like would suck it up immediately. So these so fascinating. scents and, and toxins <laughs> and stuff, that's the concern is that, um, they're getting sucked up immediately. They don't just sit there they do accumulate the bioaccumulation is our is our concern yeah and then for multiple days on on end multiple days on you're in a constant state for a few days of having toxic chemicals in your body right Mm. wow so so i have a lot of different women that have reached out and they're like oh i have this symptom or this symptom um and one thing i want to do on this episode with you since you're you're amazing in this space is just talk about different symptoms that women experience, oh. you know, talk about the, the biological aspect of it. You know, why do you experience that? And then different tips for that to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of maybe heal from that or remedies that are natural. So the first one I have for you is bloating. So common. And what, what would you talk to us about that? So a couple of reasons. One is it can literally be physical, such as if your uterus is an upside down pear. That's the shape it is. So like the fruit, the pear, flip it upside down. That's your uterus on average. It's about four ounces. That's about how much it can hold right before your period is because it's filling with blood and tissue. It gets up to about eight ounces. So that alone, if somebody's like, I can see my, you know, I can feel, or I can, it's like, feels harder mm-hmm. down there. I can, I feel like my, my lower abdomen pooches out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, you went from four to eight ounces, like yeah. physically that's what happens. <laughs> then you have hormone shifts on top of it. And those hormone shifts can affect, um, what things like water retention. Mm-hmm. Do you re- retain water or not? Mm-hmm. And the health of inside the intestinal tract. And so, um, increased risk for, you know, having more gas, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and we've a lot of women, you'll see it on social media, talk about having, once their period starts, they get the period poops because, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There, there are these things called prostaglandins and they're spas, they cause spasms. They make things squeeze. And so it's good to squeeze out your period, but then it also causes your intestines to squeeze mm. <laughs> and out everything comes. <laughs> and there we have it. <laughs> and there we have it. So with bloating is a, it's a multi-factor um, situation where you literally have a structure that's expanding to, a, to accommodate the blood and the tissue mm. that's in there. And then you have just shift in hormones that is affecting water retention or not. And it's also affecting your, your intestines. And so one of the first things I do is, um, one evaluate intestinal health with, you know, do you typically have gas and bloating? Mm-hmm. Should we, we be doing some sort of stool test? What is your diet? Like, is it a lot of what we would maybe call 
in Western standard Western foods, you know, are you big on fast food? Are you big on fried food? Are you big on soda? Like, do you, you know, so those are the kind of things I'm going to start asking. Right. And then are you hydrated enough? Like, what is your hydration status? Do you prefer caffeine over everything that's caffeinated, but like haven't had water in days, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like just actual water or water with electrolytes. And then let's look to evaluate some of these hormones. So estrogen and progesterone, which contribute to, um, your, uh, saltwater balance. So mm-hmm. do you retain water or not? So a few things go into, yeah. Definitely. Why am I bloated? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think about pineapple? Because I've heard, you know, pineapple can get rid of bloating quickly or, and ginger as well. Ginger ginger's can. a big one. So ginger's mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory in the digestive tract. Um, ginger's also anti-nausea. So people who right. feel as they get close to their period or when they're bleeding, well, sometimes it'll trigger the nausea mm-hmm. re- reflex. Um, so ginger can be ginger tea can be really good. Ginger is also anti-spasmodic. So for some women like it, cause it helps cramps yep. uh, as well. And then pineapple has uh, a digestive enzyme in it, believe it or not, bromelain. Mm-hmm. And so bromelain helps break things down. And so you can actually take digestive enzymes. You can take bromelain. Um, you can also eat uh, pineapple um, and other people will do lemon juice, a little lemon juice right. and water. Other people mm-hmm. will do apple cider vinegar a little apple cider vinegar, like a tablespoon mm-hmm. in, some, in some water before they eat. And that it's similar effect is to stimulate and improve digestion. Interesting. So basically when you experience a, those different things, whether it's bloating or, you know, period bowels, it's more than likely because there's too much prostaglandins um, yes. because not every woman experiences those side effects, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just too many prostaglandins. It's too many prostaglandins, or you maybe it's possible genetically you're just sensitive mm-hmm. to prostaglandins. If you find out you know, your mom, your older sister, your aunts, mm-hmm. like, everyone's like, oh yeah, welcome to the family. Yeah. Genetically, just your, your prostaglandin sensitivity is higher than the average bear and you're going to experience quicker, faster bowel movements right. <laughs> when right. your period comes. Yeah. <laughs> Be ready. And, and the other thing too, is again, from an anatomical point of view, your, your uterus is kind of C-shaped. I mean, it's the shape of a pear, huh. yeah. but like a bent pear. And so it's supposed to be C-shaped kind of towards your belly button and other women's don't, they have, there's huh. a tipped. We, it's some people have heard of a tipped uterus. So tipped can be tipped in any direction. Your uterus is not permanent in your abdomen. It's it's held in by muscles and ligaments, but it's not cemented in. So it's meant to sort of, it does move around a little bit like a kite. Totally. And so if it's tipped backwards, now imagine you have four ounces pressing on your colon, mm-hmm. not such a big deal. Now it's eight ounces. So now you may experience constipation because you have eight ounces pressing backwards. And as you bleed, you shrink back down seven ounces, six ounces, five ounces, four ounces. And now the colon is not as maybe compressed, I guess right. would be a good, right. like dented not on a, not as much pressure. <laughs> not as much yeah. pressure. And so, you know, out it comes. And so right. usually when you go get a physical exam, your, your OBGYN can tell you what direction your uterus is shaped. Or if you've ever had a pelvic ultrasound, the ultrasound tech should be able to tell you in the ultrasound report, it will tell you, are you tip forward? Are you tip backwards? And, and sort of kind of to what degree, which can be helpful. Um, and then there are ways, uh, it's usually manual. So you will see like certain Mm. specialized massage therapist, um, abdominal, uh, massage therapy. There's another therapy, pelvic floor, physical therapy can be really helpful. Mercier therapy. So there are definitely ways to help get that kite from floating backwards to floating forwards. Fascinating. That's one thing I had no idea on. So I'm now I'm like, what is mine? <laughs> I know. I know. And it's easy. Your if you, when you get your, when you do your pap and then they do the part where they fill your ovaries, um, they insert a finger inside and then they put their hand on your belly. Cause they're trying to basically trap your, okay. your ovaries and like, make sure that's not enlarged or anything's weird or feel, you know, your uterus is what they think is a typical size. Right. So just ask, it's yeah, just, you know, which exactly. one is my uterus? face. Like, yeah. how, do you, how do you feel it? Please tell me. Please um, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and can that change if you are pregnant and then give birth? Like mm-hmm. I'm sure, I mean, yeah. having oh, a child yeah. in your uterus is going to have some effect on it. <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Same for fibroids. If you have, um, for example, like a really large fibroid or large fibroids, it's heavy. Okay. It's right. It's weighted. And so if you were already maybe tip to the back and you've got a fibroid that's growing, it will weight it down to the back. Just same as if you have it, if you're leaning forward, like you're supposed to, a right. fibroid can really pull it down in the front as well. And, and I don't mean like, obviously I don't mean 
I make it sound like it's, I'm exaggerating like feet. It's going to make it yeah. drop down feet. <laughs> no, no, no. We're only talking you know, centimeters, to, you know, to maybe some inches, but um, that can mean a lot to mm. your intestinal health, right? That can mean a lot to your bladder. If it's pushing mm. on your bladder and I pee all the time. And so mm-hmm. um, it for can make a difference. Women that are listening that are like, I've heard of fibroids, but don't know exactly what they are. Could you explain just an overview of what that they are? Yeah. So fibroids are basically fibrous tissue. So it's, nobody knows how really, how they start to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, they are often very genetic. And so fibrous tissue will start to ball together mm-hmm. and form what we call a fibroid. And so these fibroids can grow on the inside of your uterus. They can grow in the, your uterus has three layers. And so the middle layers where all the muscle is, it can grow in the muscle and then it can grow on the, believe it or not, on the outside and just sort of hang out on the outside. Mm. The issue with fibroids, uh, a lot of times women have no idea they're there. They'll find them randomly on an ultrasound because they don't ever cause problems, issues, nothing. It's just like, oh, look, you have a tiny fibroid. Where it becomes a problem are um, they bleed easily is when they are on the inside of the uterus. They're very heavily, uh, they have a lot of blood vessels to them. So when they get bumped, moved, nicked, you know, pushed, uh, because they're in your abdomen, then women will often say my periods are so heavy. You know, I have a lot of clots or I, I seem to spot a lot. It's like, Hmm, polyps can do the same thing. Polyps are, uh, similar to a fibroid, but they usually come on a stalk. So think of like a skin tag, right. But inside your uterus and they are also a lot of what we call capillaries, tiny, tiny, tiny little blood vessels very fragile. They bleed very easily. Some women listening may have struggling with fertility concerns, maybe went and got an ultrasound. And the doctor was like, Oh, look, fertility is an issue because you have a fibroid or polyp that's literally blocking the area to implant. Mm-hmm. So let's pop these out and then that will help. So for surface area implantation, pop them out. What, what do they do exactly? <laughs> Surgery. <laughs> I know got it sounds it. funny. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so with a, there's a couple of ways to address a fibroid, but if you do have to have surgery, they go in through the vagina, kind of like when you had a pap smear, they yep. go in through the vagina up into the uterus and scoop them out. They have nifty wow. little, it, it's the cool, I, I think it's the coolest thing, but I'm also a doctor and I nerd out on it when I would go. Um, <laughs> I had very good surgeon friends who would allow me to accompany my patients who had to have surgery in the uh, operating room. Mm-hmm. So then they would insert this little thing that would kind of just arm out, grab the fibroid. Mm-hmm. One of my, one of my surgeon friends described it as like a melon ball scooper. Oh gosh. <laughs> He's like, we just kind of <laughs> like scoop it out. And then we send it for biopsy and, you know, bada bing, you're done. Those are, and again, you, it sizes everything. I have had patients who have had huge, fi- 10 centimeter, you know, bigger than a baseball. Um, and those do require, sometimes they can't. Sometimes they do have to do a hysterectomy and other times, depending on the size, they can just physically remove them. So I I will never scoop watermelon with one of those tools ever, (laughs) like the same ever again. (laughs) Like the fibers that I like come in contact with cantaloupe, I'll be like, huh, like this is all too familiar right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That was her description to the patient. She's like, no, no, it's very safe. It's kind of like scooping a, a, your melon ball scooper or like carving a pumpkin. You know, you have to get all those fibers out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Anyway. (laughs) Um, the next symptom that sometimes women have, including myself includes like kind of a sinusy headache around mm-hmm. like ovulation or right before when you're going to get your period, just because of the fluctuations in hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real thing. And by real thing, I mean, it's technically called the, the period flu. So if you look it up online, if you type in period flu, you will see all this information. You will see all this, um, research in, in just, uh, articles about mm-hmm. it. So basically your immune system has all your little immune cells, most all your little immune cells have an estrogen receptor on them. Mm-hmm. So they are sensitive to the fluctuation in your hormones, particularly estrogen, your other hormones too, progesterone and testosterone, but particularly estrogen. So right before ovulation, your estrogen goes sky high. It's supposed to, yep. and then it drops down. So that sky high and drop down, if your immune cells are extra sensitive to it, mm. will react. And women will say, 
I feel like I'm getting the flu. I feel like I'm getting sick or I feel like I'm my sinuses. Um, I, and then, and then it goes away or they'll get it before their period. Their estrogen was high. It's coming down because they're about to start their period. And they go every freaking month. I feel like I'm going to get the flu or, you know, the current virus and it freaks me out. And then my period starts and it goes away. It's the shift in estrogen and progesterone. Now, what I've noticed, uh, I don't have research on this. I've noticed this and, um, a fellow, um, she's a PhD, uh, immunologist, a microbiologist is that if you're already low grade, uh, maybe inflamed, your immune system is already kind of kicked up as it is. Uh-huh. You seem to be more susceptible because they're more trigger happy. They're already fighting a fight somewhere else or kind of low grade all the time somewhere. Um, and then with the shift in hormones of estrogen in particular, then they trigger faster than maybe somebody who's not as inflamed or has other immune stuff going on. I also tend to hear it a lot more in my autoimmune people. Autoimmune people tend to already have maybe trigger happy immune systems mm-hmm. if they're still working on getting it under control. And then they, with their periods, they're like my autoimmune symptoms, whatever they are, mm-hmm. are worse before my period or ovulation. Why is this? I'm like, ah, cause your immune system's already up. Mm-hmm. And then the hormones affected it. Right. Right. And can histamine have an effect on that? Is it, you know, a separate topic or is yeah. that into Oh, for it? sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, um, as your estrogen goes up, estrogen slows down your ability to break down histamine. You, okay. you have, there's a few ways you break it down, but in one particular way, you have an enzyme called DAO mm-hmm. and DAO gets slowed down or blocked by excessive levels of estrogen. So now you have a whole lot of extra histamine floating around mm-hmm. histamine can increase prostaglandin. So cramps yep. for one thing. Yep. Um, but it can also of course cause histamine symptoms. Like I feel allergic or my skin mm-hmm. rashes are bad or my skin is itchy. My ears itch. Mm-hmm. I'm sneezing a lot. I'm light sensitive. I have this like allergy type headache that can happen as well. Yes. Interesting. So, are, so yeah, people will point. take an antihistamine, you know, I, women I'll say, whether you believe in them or or not, like you don't want to take a medication, try an antihistamine, try a true antihistamine and write write a couple of days before for a couple of days and see if your symptoms get better. And it's a really easy, um, generally considered safe trial Mm -hmm. to see if that's the issue. So right before your ovulation, take a histamine, antihistamine. And if you're like, well, son of a gun, all my (laughs) symptoms got, but you know, that totally helped me. Then you'll, then, you know, it's your test. Yeah. All right. Histamine is an issue. It's probably the estrogen affecting the histamine affecting my symptoms. Totally. Got and, it. and what are your thoughts on magnesium? I mean, obviously magnesium can have so many benefits all across the board, but during, you know, headache times of the mm-hmm. month thoughts on yeah. that. So magnesium is involved in what, like 300 and some enzymatic reactions. So if you need to get from point A to point B, like 300 plus times, uh, that magnesium is the cofactor. It's the mm. like extra helper that makes that happen. One of the big things magnesium is involved in is how you detoxify your estrogen. Mm. So not only does magnesium do everything else, but specifically for this conversation, it's really helpful for magne- or for estrogen detoxification. Mm-hmm. So yes. And there's lots of forms, so many forms of magnesium. That's the thing I was just right? going to ask you, what, do you, what, what do are you your take? thoughts on the forms? <laughs> <laughs> so everything is magnesium. It's the second word is like a bonus. For example, magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate glycine is super calming. So a lot of people, a lot of practitioners recommend magnesium glycinate at night because one, you get your magnesium fix and Mm -hmm. two, you get the glycine. So it can be calming, relaxing, anti-anxiety. There's another magnesium, magnesium orotate. Orotate is helpful for the heart threonate is good for the brain. So you, these, the second bonus of magnesium is, um, it's still magnesium. It's magnesium. And, uh, the most common you're going to see on the shelves are probably like magnesium carbonate, magnesium citrate. Um, those affect the gut. So if you have constipation, they will help move things along. You'll get your magnesium and you will an extra bonus pack. And an extra little bonus <laughs> is that your, your bowels will move much faster. Yes. And if you don't want your bowels to move faster, maybe that's not the form that you use. Not the form that you're going to be going right. with. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I know that I don't remember how long ago it was, but I saw on Instagram, you posted that you were taking one 
um, in particular, it helps the brain. It kind of knocked out a whole bunch of different magnesiums. Yeah. Are you still taking that? Like what three were your and thoughts eight. on it? Yeah, the magnesium three and eight. So three and eight, the addition of the three and eight helps push magnesium across the blood brain barrier up into the brain. And so uh, it's to help with like memory, focus, concentration, brain health in general. Mm-hmm. Now, can magnesium, can all magnesium get into the brain? Sure. Mm-hmm. This one just has the extra added three and eight that gets the research has shown it is extra helpful in getting it up there. Mm. So the makers, a lot of makers of magnesium three and eight do say to take it at night, um, that it's, uh, helpful for sleep, helpful for brain repair, um, helpful for the next day. I actually found that it was too, I felt like it was too stimulating for me. So I would do magnesium three and eight in the morning and I would do glycinate at night. So I actually would have two forms of magnesium. That's cool. Which is fine. Which is totally fine. People are always like, can I mix? Do they, do they get along? They do get along. Yes. That's, that's a good thing to know because you never know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, that's awesome. So another analogy that you have is the bathroom or bathroom bathtub analogy and talk to us just a brief overview of what that Mm -hmm. process looks like and, and how you use that. It's for estrogen detoxification. So your estrogen, thank God does not float around in your body forever. So what you're, you have to clear it. And my analogy is exactly what you said. It's the bathtub leading connected to your sewer line, leading out of the body. Mm-hmm. So just like in your own body, um, uh, or excuse me, in your bathroom with your bathtub. So you have water coming in your bathtub. So that's phase one and it's adjustable. We can adjust the water, hot, cold. We can slow it down. We can speed it up. Mm-hmm. Then we have the drain that's phase two. And just like our drains at home, it can be clogged. They can be full of hair. They can be open. They can be closed. And then we have the sewer line, which is out of the body or out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can have clogged sewer lines. We can have cracked sewer lines um, just like, our, and that's our intestines. So phase mm-hmm. one and two predominantly happens in the liver, not always, but mm-hmm. predominantly. And then phase three happens in the uh, kidneys or in the intestines. And so for the sake of my analogy, I primarily focus on the intestines because Mm -hmm. it aligns with the sewer line. Totally. (laughs) And so, so I'm always, when I'm talking estrogen detoxification, I'm like, is the problem at your water is the problem at your drain or is the problem at your sewer line? And no matter what, we have to start with the sewer line in our evaluation, because if you're constantly messing with the water of your bathtub, but your sewer line is clogged, mm. does it, like you're still going to overflow your bathtub and ruin your bathroom. And it's the same in your body. You may be constantly trying different diets, different supplements to adjust that phase one. And the whole time your sewer line, your intestines aren't yeah. healthy. Got to start there. Exactly. And how much does genetics come into play with, you know, the estrogen you produce and your ability to get rid of it? So you have a lot of genetic uh, SNPs that make the enzymes that sort of keep this process going. So for example, to break down estrogen in phase one, we call them CYP or cytochrome P450. Mm-hmm. And so you can learn that you can do genetics testing and, and see if you are, you know, fast, slow, or kind of neutral. Mm-hmm. However, however, as we know, everything in genetics is influenced by what we're exposed to, what we eat, you know, how we sleep, um, ex- infections, et cetera, et cetera. So you are not doomed to your genetics. Uh, they're very easily in a lot of cases, not always, um, mm-hmm. modifiable, but yes, that we can, we will pull, um, genetic results together with what's happening with the hormones. Or if you have, like some people are like, well, I have my genetics test. What I can say based on the genetics test is you're more likely like, oh, you're more likely to be slow with the phase two, but it doesn't mean that's how it actually manifests for you. We have to test for that. Exactly. So that goes into my next question. How important is testing when it comes to your hormones and what are the different tests that, you know, someone might do to understand where they're at currently? I am obviously a huge fan of testing, having worked for (laughs) a hormone testing lab for many of years and now working for a Rupa, which is a lab a multi-lab testing platform, Mm -hmm. but I will say this hormones are extremely influential. Um, they, uh, succumb to peer pressure. And so if somebody says, well, I don't really have the budget right now to affect, to test my hormones, but I know my hormones are a mess. I'm like, great. A lot of things, sleep again, the basics, sleep, hydration, exercise, diet, environmental toxins, all affect your hormones. And if you're like, Whoa, my diet has been terrible the last couple of weeks, I've just completely 
been on vacation or spring break or whatever it was. All right, let me dial that in. Wow, I haven't been sleeping at all. I've been having more wine lately, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, great budget. Let's start there. And then let's reevaluate your hormones. Mm-hmm. Now, if you choose to do hormones, you do a couple options. You can blood test them. You mm-hmm. can saliva test them. You can urine test them. And then genetic is usually, um, a swab in the mouth. Usually it's like a big Q-tip that you rub on the inside of your cheek. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, because their insurance covers it, will start with blood testing and their doctor will run usually sometimes, uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and another marker called DHEA. If we're just sticking to the, um, sort of ovarian type hormones, there's lots of hormones, of course. (laughs) The problem with that testing though, is that you make sure no matter what you, you get tested at the right part of your cycle. So if you are cycling, if you still get your period, Mm -hmm. you want a hormone test roughly five to seven days after you ovulate, which is roughly day 19, 20 or 22 or 21 of your cycle. So day one is your period. The first day you bleed, bleed, not spot, but bleed, bleed. That's day one. You would just count forward. And that's when you would ask your practitioner to test for you. Mm With, um, blood testing, you get, you get that information, which is great, but it's not the full picture, which is where urine testing came along because urine testing now gives you the detoxification information. Mm -hmm. So not only can you check estrogen and urine, but you can check sort of what pathways and how it's detoxifying. And the same goes even for things like testosterone. We, as women make testosterone, Sometimes it's going down pathways that gives us more acne or hair loss or hair growth in places we sure don't want. Right. And so it's nice to see on the, on a test in front of you on this urine test of, oh, I'm going down that pathway. Oh, that explains why I'm having so much hair loss lately. And then there's stuff you can do about it. Saliva testing is exactly what you think you spit in a tube usually for Mm -hmm for science. Um, and much like blood testing, it gives you the basics estrogen. You have three different kinds, uh, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. So there are a couple, it doesn't give you the detox part of it though. That's, um, no matter what that's only done in urine. Right. Right. And the detox aspect is important. Like you talked about, you know, to know how am I getting rid of this stuff? You know, where, where's the backlog happening and, and why, I mean, it can kind of give you a little allude as to, Oh, why is this happening? And start to ask yep. questions and right. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely will get asked like, how often do you think I should do this? I'm like, well, I honestly, at least once a year, if you can, right. um, but at least periodically. So if you're 20 years old and you're listening to this and you're having hormonal symptoms, you know, at least get it done once. Mm-hmm. And then every, you know, every couple of years. And I understand, um, budget may prevent that, but if you had like a five, every five years, you're like, you know what, every five years, I'm going to do some real serious testing and, Mm -hmm. uh, see where I'm at. Because as we all know, as we change and get older and have kids or don't have kids or jobs or moves or stress or whatever, uh, it totally affects our hormones. And so it is nice to see how far we're like, like picture a cliff. Like, are we close to the cliff? Are we going right. to fall off the cliff? Or are we far away from the cliff? Exactly. exactly. And then we can modify as opposed to falling off the cliff and then going, right. I feel like crap. Shoot. I better go get tested. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe this is a sign. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so for people listening, they're like, okay, great. Dr. Carrie, I want to get tested. Mm-hmm who should I go to? What should I do? (laughs) Like that's, I made this decision to do it, but I don't know where to go now. That's the million dollar question. So I am a huge advocate of finding a functional medicine practitioner, however that looks, who can help you through the journey because we are talking about hormones, but hormones may not be the first thing you test. Um, meaning, uh, maybe there's other things that you, when you give your life story, your history, your medication, your symptoms, they're going to go, Oh, you know what? We actually need to start with this other test first, because Mm -hmm. I think if we clean that up, it'll actually really help your hormones. Maybe it's food allergy testing. Maybe it's stool testing, which is where you poop in a cup for science. Maybe you've never had basic blood work ever. You don't know what your thyroid is. You don't know what your blood sugar is. You don't know what your vitamin D is. And so your practitioner might go, let's just start there. (laughs) See what's up. Are you anemic? Like what's going on here and then move forward. And so I am a big fan of seeing a practitioner first, if you can, um, so that they can tailor it a lot more and, you know, focus your money where they think it's Mm -hmm. best. 
Exactly. Is there like a good, you know, website to find practitioners in your area or, you know, what are some good questions for people to ask when they're trying to search for the right practitioner for them? Yeah. So there's two I give the most. Um, I don't have any affiliation. I don't get any kickbacks or anything from these lists, but one is uh, IFM, the Institute of Functional Medicine. They are ifm.com. Uh, .org. I think they're both. I think you can okay. do both now. IFM.org or .com. They have a find a practitioner. And then the company I used to work for is called the Dutch test, mm -hmm. dutchtest.com. They also have a find a practitioner in your area. You can enter in city, you can enter in your zip code, and they also have um, telemedicine options. So if there's okay. nobody by you or you, you're like, look, I'm not going to a clinic. I'd prefer to do it on zoom. Mm -hmm. They have those options too. There are other, um, platforms out there on find a provider for sure. Um, these okay. are just the two that I recommend. Perfect. Probably the most. Yeah. Awesome. Do you, do you have a preferred? Um, do I No, yeah. I do not. And so part of that was the question of, for me of, okay, how do I best find yeah. you know, a practitioner in my area? Um, and I, I don't really have a preferred right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. The thing about too, a functional medicine practitioner, and you may be asked your actual, whoever mm -hmm. your actual practitioner is in some nowadays, some people are more integrative. Mm -hmm. So they're lean in that direction. They're open to it. You know, they're, they're happy to order these extra tests for you. They may not totally understand them, but like, mm -hmm. they're going to try, they're going to help. Um, others mm -hmm. are completely against it and that's fine too. They're very, um, acute care, conventional. That's the way they were trained. Thank God we have them. Yep. But I always tell people it's okay to add to your healthcare team. So if you totally. love your, your OBGYN who does your physicals and delivered your kids, but not, they're not like, I don't do all that other testing. Totally mm -hmm. cool. Keep them as your OBGYN and just add to your medical team, find somebody else totally. who's willing to help you, um, you know, handle exactly. these symptoms. Exactly. I guess I shouldn't say that I don't, I have a good friend who's like certified in, you know, functional testing and everything. Mm -hmm. So we've been, so I've done like my blood tests, hormone tests and mm -hmm. all of that and work with her. Um, is she an official practitioner? No, but in a way I kind of have someone, an official <laughs> <works>. practitioner. <laughs> it works right now. <laughs> it works. Yeah. So I, and I tell people like, ask around if you're in groups, if you're in, you know, Facebook groups, if you're on social media, like you may be surprised if that people already have mm -hmm. someone that they see and you just didn't happen to know it and they can right. give you recommendations and then you can look them up and see if it seems like it might be a good fit if they, yeah. they gel with you. Exactly. Exactly. Man, this has been incredible, Dr. Carey. So many nuggets to take away from the past, however long we were doing this for. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we head into the rapid fire questions, do you have a few key takeaways for listeners to wrap it all up? I agree. So the first thing, and they're all free, cheap, and easy, which is what I love um, to help. So the first thing is your hormones, all your hormones are very much dictated by lightness and darkness. Um, mm -hmm. We are circadian beings. Um, if you are a night shift worker, God bless you. I love you. You're not exactly who I'm talking to though. If you yeah. are a nine to fiver, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is going to apply to you much more. So when you sleep at night, that darkness helps to reset your 24 hours. Believe it or not, humans don't run on 24 hours. We run a little bit longer than 24 hours. All our clocks, world clock, military time, everything is 24 hours, right? Yes. We're a little bit longer as humans. So every freaking day we have to reset ourselves. Otherwise we screw huh. ourselves up. Yes. <laughs> so we reset ourselves by darkness. So at night, legitimately, you hear this all the time, wind down, get off your electronics, wear blue light blocking glasses. Oh, yeah wear a sleep mask. If your room is light or bright, or there's a street light or get blackout curtains, whatever it takes, believe it or not, darkness is your friend, right? In the morning, full spectrum light sets. So it helps to mm -hmm. set your circadian rhythm. So if it's, I live in the Pacific Northwest, we don't often have a lot of sun until like July. <laughs> so I have a full spectrum light. And even, um, that kind of like grayish brightness. Like it's not clearly going to be a sunny right. day, but it's still kind of gray and bright outside completely counts. Mm -hmm. You need to get exposure in your eyeballs to it. Don't stare at the sun. Don't burn out your retinas. Don't be stupid, <laughs> but open your door, you know, go for a walk, um, open your curtains, like really get some sun exposure, some bright exposure or buy a full spectrum light box. Uh, they're generally like 10,000 lux. They're generally 20 to $30 
wherever you shop. So easily Amazon, affordable. Costco. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you can turn them on in the morning. So I have one on my counter downstairs when I feed my dog and make my tea mm-hmm. and take my supplements. I mm-hmm. turn it on in the darkness of morning. That helps set your circadian rhythm, which will over the course of a couple of weeks help set your hormonal rhythm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Number two is um, honestly alcohol. Be aware of alcohol. I am not telling you not to drink. I for <laughs> sure have the occasional glass of wine, um, but wine, uh, alcohol in general uh, screws up the liver. And if you're struggling with hormonal issues, mm-hmm. then it's going to screw it up even more because alcohol is a bully and will push to the front of the liver the alcohol. To, to get right, to get processed. So if you're struggling with lots of PMS, fertility issues, uh, heavy periods, bloating, et cetera, et cetera. And oh, by the way, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I, yeah I've been probably drinking a little more alcohol than I should have lately. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not making your hormones happy and it's contributing. So recheck your, your alcohol. The third thing is, uh, my favorite phrase, which I have behind me, it says healing happens at joy. Mm-hmm. And so it's fine. It's not, you need to be joyful all day long, but your body does help um, flip into what's called a like rest and digest and heal mode when you feel joyful and it can be fleeting. It can be your sister sent you the funniest meme ever. And you're totally laughing out loud for that moment. Like that does help the system. It can be like loving your dog, right? It can be hugging your kids. It can be reading a great book. It can be a super happy movie. It can be just something you enjoy doing, you know, gardening, cooking, whatever you're, whatever you're doing at work that brings you a lot of joy. And so when you feel joy, that helps push you into that rest, digest, heal mode. So find your joy. Amazing. Those are solid three tips. (laughs) I remember throughout the whole episode, I was like, oh, we should totally talk about light. Oh, like, what about this? And you just nailed it. I was like, perfect. It's one of my, because it's again, free, cheap, easy, tactical. And so many of us now with the pandemic, like we worked up too late. We're scrolling through social media. We're on Netflix. I mean, we just got all screwed up. And so when I started talking about this more and people were like, oh yeah, like I used (laughs) to have a bedtime and I used to be regimented and I used to think you're right. I Mm -hmm. completely broke that. Totally. Uh, yep. I, I can attest <laughs> to some of those things. I've, I've just yeah. recently given up alcohol. Cause I'm like, okay, I don't feel like this is really doing my hormones good at least right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. now since being married, my husband, he's, he doesn't uh, have a particular bedtime usually. And mm-hmm. before marriage, I was like strict nine, nine 30, like I'm going to bed. And now I'm like, uh, like my body is like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I once, I wish I could remember who said it and I would give them credit. I cannot remember who said it. They were like, we, our animals have very strict schedules. Mm-hmm. Toddlers, kids and toddlers have very strict schedules. Like why did that stop? Yeah. yeah. We have to be the same. We need to, right. you know, wind down, read a story, get into bed and be, be consistent with it. It doesn't stop even though we're adults. Exactly. Exactly. It's okay to wind down. Yes. You're one of those. That's like, I got to keep grinding. I got to keep working or reaching this, this point. It's okay. Right. (laughs) Right. And burnout is real. You know, thankfully you can grind and you can push to a point Mm -hmm. and then you can't burn the candle at both ends forever. At some point it will bite you back somehow. You'll be going off the cliff. (laughs) Yes. You will be off the cliff at that point. And likely totally you'll be, you'll be surprised, but you won't be that, you know, you'd be like, Oh yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Carrie and April talked about this. (laughs) That's right. I should have (laughs) listened. Should have listened. Oh man. Well, now we're getting into the fun part. So rapid fire questions. (laughs) The first question I have for you is what are you currently reading right now? Oh, well, you'll love this. It's the book of joy. It's, it's the book of joy by Desmond Tutu and, um, the Dalai Lama. And it's wonderful. Mm. It's about halfway through it. And it's really just a very, it's a sweet friendship. And Mm. then it's just free, sweet, um, outcomes and, and good life lessons that they're talking about. That's the book of joy. I'll link it in the show notes as well, (laughs) along with a lot of the other stuff that we talked about. (laughs) The next question is, what is your favorite food? Oh, dark chocolate, hundred percent. Oh my gosh, it's an entire so much like. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's an entire food group unto yes. itself. Yes, yes, the darker it the better. And I feel bad for people who can't do chocolate, but then I realize that means there's more for you and me. So, I shoot if we have to. I know. <laughs> What's your favorite brand? Like, do you have a go-to? Oh, um, so there's there's a lot of solid options now. There are really like good options, right? Um, I'm trying to think. 
I don't think I have a like go-to brand. Yeah. There's, oh man. Hmm. So Dave Asprey's Bulletproof dark mm-hmm. chocolate. I haven't I, had that. Okay. I bought their, his dark chocolate with sea salt one. And I was like, oh, I'll see what it's like. Oh my goodness. It is so good. It's like so smooth. It's amazing. So that's good to know. Highly huh. recommend. Okay. Good. <laughs> I will check it out. Um, the next question I have is what is your favorite travel destination or a dream destination that you have? Um, well, okay. So I have been super lucky. I grew up in a family that traveled. So I was on a plane at one month old and just never stopped. And so I have been literally all over the world, but I've never been to Italy. And so prior to the pandemic, 2020, we, my husband and I were supposed to go to Italy and obviously that got stopped. Oh, of course. (laughs) So now we are looking to go to Italy um, because I haven't been to Italy. I also haven't been I want to be in a hut out over an ocean. So the Bali or the Maldives or wherever Mm -hmm. those, I would like to do that as well. One of my best friends in, he has a big birthday in three years and he was like, Mm. save your money. That's what we're doing. So I was like, you're like, great. Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I love that. I'm the, I'm the same way. I just, I can't get enough travel. I'm, I'm itching to do something really soon. My husband's like, oh, let's just wait a little. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know if I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So how can listeners connect with you, Dr. Carrie? Uh, Instagram is a big one. So I'm at dr.carriejones. I am, I have one foot into TikTok. Mm-hmm. I am getting when I'm, so I'm at Dr. Carrie Jones on TikTok. And then I, uh, Rupa Health, I'm on Rupa Health a lot, which is R-U-P-A, Rupa at rupa underscore health um drcarriejones.com is my website but it's getting an overhaul so and then i uh, lastly i have just started brand new i don't even know if you know this april i have a mm-hmm. i'm hosting the rupa health podcast oh no which way. is the root cause medicine podcast so Amazing. it hasn't been launched it's we're baby steps but it's that is so here we cool. go <laughs> that is exciting you're gonna be a phenomenal yes. host uh, so I'll be subscribing to that one. (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, it's been an honor, Dr. Carrie Jones, and I know my listeners are going to take away so much from this. And so thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. 